Hello, my name is Christina, and thank you for checking into the Home Favorite OCs. This is a podcast where our guests and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. And guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hi, my name is Alice, and I am I actually have a podcast of my own and do a lot of writing for a long time. Lots oh, of writing. nice. Glad to hear it. I am <laughs> I'm a big proponent of people being uh of people being involved in creative endeavors especially if in in my case sometimes they're a way of coping with your with your full-time day job. <laughs> Absolutely. Mhm. <laughs> Thankfully, we're not here to talk about work. We're here to talk about characters and possibly their work. <laughs> uh so who are we going to be talking about today, Alice? Um, I have a character who is, I've made multiple versions of, she's had multiple versions of herself over the years. Um, her name is Samantha Calhoun. Mm-hmm. The novel that I have in um, kind of first draft form that I need to do some rewrites on um, is called Absolution. Okay, okay. Since Sam is a character who's gone through multiple iterations, uh, do you want to start by talking out kind of how you came up with the character? Or uh, I see that you wrote down here that she came to you in a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was I was feeling a little cheeky there, um, but it's also true. So mm-hmm. this happened kind of in stages. I originally wrote. Um, the very first iteration of what would be Sam on the site Fim, Fim Fiction, F-I-M Fiction, which huh. was Pony Fiction because uh, it was 2013. And oh, I Friendship is Magic Fiction. Yeah. Um, okay. It is a terrible cesspool, but once it was a cesspool, <laughs> that was fun. Um, I mean, how much of the internet does, does that describe? Right. Um, it, the story was called Absolution. It was about, um, it starred, uh, Scootaloo, which was the, like, diminutive little Pegasus, um, who is a child character who, in canon, cannot fly. Mm-hmm. She's learned how to use her little wings to help her get more speed on a scoot- scooter, and, um, she's very cute, um, and I liked her a lot. And I liked the I liked that she had this sort of mentor hero worship relationship with one of the main characters, Ray Badesh. Um So a friend and I were talking at one point, mm-hmm. um, just joking around, and we were kind of thinking of like basically it was another writer friend and I. We were egging our, each other on, and like, what's the like most ludicrous idea you can come up with? Um, to just be the meanest you can to a character. And oh, no. <laughs> at one point, because um, I was I was in college and um, kind of, it was, it was uh, a ride as a stress relief. And I was never really that mean to characters. Like, uh, their, their stories tended to be kind of have darker themes, but that wasn't, I was never really a hopeless situation kind of person. And mm-hmm. um, on a lark... This friend suggests to me that I should write a story where Scootaloo's hero worship of this character Rainbow Dash is like eternally frustrated 
Um, like you can't you can't get near her, sort of thing. And uh. like, you know, you hug her and she just like disappears somewhere else. So I wrote because it was two a.m. I wrote a thousand words into a direct message. Um, and that was basically the beginning of the story. Um, and I wrote it as a novella because I'd been wanting to do a longer story that was sci-fi for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was version one. Um, it had a lot of things different. It had, well, f- because it was in a, a setting that was originally fantasy, it was a lot more magitech. It had a lot more, there was actual magic and supernatural mm-hmm. stuff that was definitely supernatural in a world where supernatural things happen all the time. I had to do a lot of thinking about how an ungulate would operate a spacecraft, which was very fun, actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> given that given that Sam originated from from uh, My Little Pony uh, forum, I guess I guess we'll call it uh, magic, <laughs> magic. <laughs> That was kind of what I concluded. That was ended up being my answer. I actually had to do a little bit of research about uh, how would wings work in space, or, or rather in mm-hmm. ge- geogravity. And the interesting thing is that um, inside of a, depending on the um, the space and the uh, atmosphere, they could actually work a little bit. Okay. So that became a part of, I kind of worked that in. Um, I, it was very fun and, um, I combined that idea and the fact that I had recently read, um, House of Leaves and threw in a bunch of the mythology that I had worked on, um, that was kind of throughout a lot of my works on that site and had this story and it just kind of sat there for a while. It's my favorite story that no one read. Mm-hmm. And then I graduated college and went and went to law school for a year, which was terrible. And <laughs> I got pneumonia. Oh, no. Yeah, I got very sick. And because of the way law school works, I could not stay home. <sighs> I had to go to I had to go to class and I was delirious when I left and caught home and collapsed into bed. A person I was I was um, I was playing guitar at a church at the time. Mm-hmm. And the music minister, who was wonderful, only good things about that place, his wife okay. came and met me when they when I texted them like, hey, I'm not doing great. They got me medicine. <laughs> Aww. Met, she met me in the parking lot of the Cups Cafe um, in Oxford and gave mm-hmm. me medicine. I took some and immediately, like, fever dream slept for the – off and on for the next, like – 36 hours um I, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to get the help that you needed and also the rest that you needed <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty bad um and fever dream i thought that fever dreams were a saying i didn't realize that was an actual thing until i had mm-hmm. one i had this hyper realistic dream where i was in low orbit ascending towards the moon and I was kind of floating around the cabin and looking down on Earth and feeling this pain of having left uh, a partner behind and not knowing when I was going to see them again, mixed with this excitement of being able to be involved in a, a really cool project. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I was that and and it was very vivid. I woke up and like was confused for about five minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that dream was um, that's where Sam happened. I nice. realized I had kind of some background information, some background stuff from Absolution as I had been thinking about how to do this with with humans as original fiction. Mm-hmm. had just kind of crept into my dreams and I wasn't able to forget about it. So I had yeah. to write the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I, I can't say that I've ever experienced a fever dream, but I love when you have to wake up and put it down on paper <laughs> in text somehow, because it's just so vivid. <laughs> I do not recommend, um, having a fever dream uh, yeah 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 obviously because get there is terrible but yeah no have, yeah. have the dream not the fever exactly um i i've done a couple now there were a couple versions of her as that developed but that was i never got too far away from the version that existed in that dream that i was mm-hmm. kind of riding shotgun on yeah um, I guess from here, this is probably good, to, uh, uh, as good of a change in, or of a seg as we'll ever get, uh, to kind of go into how did you start developing, uh, Sam's story after, after literally having dreamt the concept up? <laughs> I went back to the original version of the story and mm-hmm. I did kind of a deep dive through it, the technical background what, what little there was and the lore stuff and kind of just ruthlessly mm-hmm. edited my way into this can happen in a world that doesn't have the high fantasy background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you took out all of the horses. <laughs> yes. And I, I used sci-fi that I had liked um, as sort of a guiding, as a guiding principle there. Um, mm-hmm. I took a little bit from Orson Scott Card um, as far as how for elements of what how to replace this um, a little bit. Um, Asimov-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Asimov. And tried to use elements from their fiction as a way of helping kind of be, not like, how do I put this? You know how as reference material, I guess, in the way that you would with a sketch? Yeah, yeah. Like you don't you don't copy it, but you do have it nearby as a reference point for whenever you need it. Yeah. Um, for instance, the original story absolution and in short was that Sulu Scutisam, if you will, um, is sent alone on a deep space expedition testing mm-hmm. out a ship that has faster than light travel that's never been done before um she's to go out to a point the farthest human the farthest that anyone's ever gone and then turn around and come home um which is simple oh, but okay because of the nature of this travel it is like a year in space by yourself and a ship that's designed for a crew of at least 12 oh wow um by herself <laughs> by by yourself um and a ship that in both versions that the pilot does not understand okay because they don't have the clearance 
So basically, <laughs> like it's like being put on a train and you're just told to document the experience, but you have no idea what to do if anything goes wrong. <laughs> basically, and oh no, <laughs> I keep some parts of it. For instance, I kept the the feeling of isolation and how lonely that is. The horror of just being in space. Because once you get past looking at how pretty the Earth is, you realize that space is actually the worst thing ever. Um, it will mm-hmm. kill you. It is absolutely silent out there. Uh, it is absolutely alien to us and un- not understandable. Everything is too far apart. Um, that sort of that anxiety, the experience of trying to keep your spirits up in a lonely environment... And also kept the whole idea of like not knowing how the ship worked because you don't have the clearance. How the frustrating mm-hmm. sort of being stuck in this stupid by um, bureaucracy where you they need you, they need someone there to document it, and just in case there's a malfunction, you have to pilot this. But also, if mm-hmm. nothing goes wrong, you're just stuck here for a year. Um, I <laughs> yeah. This this sounds familiar to I will say some uh, for profit space travel companies which are yes. uh, currently currently in the field. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I wanted to I, I, I liked the sort of the like I, I jokingly called it bureaucratic horror once mm-hmm. that like how the realization of just how stupid um our systems of managing things are when you're stuck inside of them, horror is not mm-hmm. quite the right word, but it's a kind of existential of, dread. Yeah. It's all it's kind of an existential th- dread. Like, Oh God, this is actually really badly run, isn't it? And I'm just in the middle of it. Some things had to go. Um, mm-hmm. The original ship and the original version was a ship designed by Luna, who is a giant princess with, Giant princess, like unicorn, winged unicorn. They call them alicorns. Okay, um, yeah. Who has yeah. a whole very specific history that motivates mm-hmm. her to do this, and also motivates her to create the AI that Star Mother, which is um, pilot's only companion. Okay. And I needed to figure out how to make that happen without needing a. Um, without needing that specific backstory, high fantasy backstory to make it make sense. Um, mm-hmm. I needed to change the, what was going on on earth because it was supposed to happen sort of in our universe. And I actually got, I actually got how to do both from the same place. Oh, nice. What is it? Have you ever heard of an anime called sound of the sky? Sora no Woto? I have not, but I am also not familiar with a lot of anime, so uh, so I am not a good benchmark. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Um, it is very short. It's only like 12 or 13 episodes. Um, it is a post-apocalyptic um, slice of life. It is mm-hmm. about, um, it is set in a country that is kind of supposed to be a post-apocalyptic fantasy Switzerland, that's also Helvetia, you know, like the old, like, Celts. The technology okay. is basically World War II, mostly, until it's not. The soldiers at this little, who are supposed to be the garrison of this village, are a group of women who are essentially slacking off, because there are only, like, five of them, 
and their base, quote unquote, is actually a an old Catholic mission school in the Japanese mountains. Hmm. Okay. There's a village down below, and they basically don't do anything. Um, they actually run a um, illegal um, distillery, which is where they get their money because apparently they don't mm-hmm. even get paid on time. And one yeah. of the characters in this show, its whole thing was that she was a mechanical genius and a computer genius in this world who's able to figure out old technology from the time before. And she was here because she had had burnout. She had been used by the government to make things work. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that she had gotten to work that had been locked in a vault for a very good reason was an experimental bioweapon that she was like nine years old and it had gone horribly, horribly right. And she had to live with that. And I had, I was rewatching Sornoloto or watching Sornoloto and was hit by like how horrible that was to do that to a child. And mm-hmm. I kind of wondered, I, I kind of ended up bumbling into a similar situation for my analog for Luna, who's never actually, her actual real name is never in the story because she and her sister and their conspirators. Um, who are the big movers and shakers on Earth, you have always used pseudonyms. Okay. So I got to call her Artemis. There you go. There you go. Which <laughs> is the moon thing, which made me happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that Artemis had her own reasons for making this um, expedition the on the U.S. on the ship Absolution make it the way it is because it is extremely weird right only one person mm-hmm. and has an ai that is designed to grow with a pilot um just it's it's a very odd setup and that was kind of the point i wanted people to ask why did you do it this way because it's terrible and you can you can get people to to go okay yeah i can see why a terrible bureaucracy would do this but also mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels a little unreal. And so having this complicated mystery of why this expedition is so borked was kind of, that was fun for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one thing that actually stayed consistent 100% was yeah, um, shoot. Sam's relationship to Starmother, um, mm-hmm. who was the a- is the A on her ship. Um, mm-hmm. Star Mother in both in all versions has always been kind of um, an AI designed to grow with a pilot. She learns things um, from people she experiences and basically basically grows up with the idea being that eventually you could kind of grow your own replacement pilot so that okay. if the pilot just dies bits and pieces of the memory and um, and knowledge and even the personality of many pilots can be jumbled mm-hmm. together into a single sort of artificial mind that can take over. Well, on the one hand, I'm I'm glad that Star Mother and I'm assuming other uh, other ships AIs have been designed to, you know, grow sentience for lack of a better term, especially because I I think having to be truly truly alone with no other 
with no other source of conversation for a year would be the worst part. We're social <laughs> and, animals. It's, it's scary. Yes. And I I really hope that Star Mother learns uh, all the best things from Sam and uh, becomes that they maybe become friends. <laughs> they do. I actually, part of the reason I wanted to have that element was because I had... I kind of wanted in the original story, this was a little stronger and I'm going to bring it out. And when I rewrite this about mm-hmm. how there's a bit at the end of Sondheim's in the woods mm-hmm. um, where careful what you say, children are watching. Yes. Children will listen. Children will learn. And it, I wanted to kind of do that um, because Sam has problems, and part of the reason she has this problem, not all of the reason, but part of them, mm-hmm. besides, is the fact that when you are a kid growing up, your understanding of what it means to be a person is to some extent shaped by the people who you know. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you, if, if you, the only behavior that is modeled for you is destructive or callous or or bad behavior, you're going to grow, that kid is going to grow up more likely to do that because it's going Mm -hmm. to seem more okay. Yes. The behavior that you model is going to be, is likely going to be taught with your, to your children, unless you make an effort to help them to unlearn that. (laughs) If you are, if you are a, and children learn the acceptable boundaries of, violence and anger and emotions of in general from us adults um can you tell mm-hmm. that i was a teacher for a while <laughs> and i wanted to have that experience of sam who grew up in this terrible environment realizing that in a very in a very real way she has to model good behavior for mm-hmm. what amounts to a kind of cybernetic teenager yeah because it is going to be based on her to an extent. Like it's going to, its mm-hmm. personality is going to be inf- influenced by her. Its memories, mm-hmm. its approaches to life are going to be influenced by what she does and says. So if yeah. she just, you know, if she loses her temper or just loses it in general, this thing is going to, it's going to mess up this, this sentient creature. And that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of pressure. It's, it's not fun. And I kind of wanted to have simultaneous with this sort of mis- this intrigue story to have a more mm-hmm. personal story about balancing your own trauma, personal trauma with kind of having to live in a world with other people. Mm-hmm. As someone with a lot of like personal trauma, you got to live in a world with other people. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> there are other humans so many of them, at least. Yes, there there are other humans. <laughs> at least a dozen others. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing that didn't change. The ghost. Yeah, shoot. Um, the source of the ghost changed between versions, but the, the, the third character, the third present character of three, who's mm-hmm. there are only three who are physically present in the story, um, is the ghost who in the original was Rainbow Dash and becomes um, Rhea in the original fiction version. Um, she is mm-hmm. a revenant, 
but not in a way that implies sort of I'm like um, I'm after you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm a ghost. More of a um, she is a ghost who is constantly crying out for uh, Sam. Interesting. Okay. Looking for her, scared or reliving things from their past, shared past when Rhea was a teenager and the ruins of Old Charleston, and um, and the, it's sort of the flow over slums. And that's where, where where Sam lived as well. And any kind of caught physical contact between Sam and Rhea will result in Rhea essentially dissolving into a kind of purple, pinkish, purplish uh, mist. Interesting. Okay. And yet she will keep trying to make that contact. Okay. Which is... Yeah, that was the original idea um, of this sort of, like, me trying to spook a friend was, what if the ghost doesn't want to hurt you and that's why it's scary? Um, I thought it was very clever when I was when I was in college. And when I came back to it when I was older and a little wiser, I was like, no, actually, this is super fucked up. Um, yeah, this sounds great. Mm-hmm. I just... I, I'm just wishing that there was a way that this could be resolved in... Uh, wait, in a manner that is healthy and also has closure for everybody involved. <laughs> well, interestingly, um, it is the ending of this. The ending of this story, um, in both versions, is actually kind of about. Is it appropriate for me to just kind of say what happens? I mean, it's <laughs> this is your narrative, Alice. You can you can tell us much or as little as you want to spoil, because sure. uh, as as you kind of mentioned before, this is a novel that is currently in rewrites and also an audio drama. <laughs> so yeah, we've as a sidebar, we've actually done a little bit. Me and Panda, um, my co-host oh, nice. on Imagine Me and Utena, um, have mm-hmm. done have done several different takes on doing this as an audio drama. Um, which have been pretty good. Um, it's very, it is very cool to hear what you've written mm-hmm. and the voice of character as someone. Panda actually drew me a little, um, a little sketch of Sam, which I which I have on my computer. Um, okay, that I nice. Love a lot. And Sam's voice and her voice to me. The thing about the ghost is that okay. Ray is still alive. So she's not really a ghost. She is an amalgamation of nanomachinery. She is not actually real. She is created from a memory. Sam, as a kid, grows up in the slums of Old Charleston. Her hero is Rhea, the mm-hmm. who, like the sports star of the sort of magnet school, like. Oh, look at us. We are very, look how nice and good I am. The rich man who has made a school for the, the sooty orphans of the, of the war, war-torn ruins um, mm-hmm. kind of situation. And catapults herself out, out of this situation using the, the, using the fact that she is really good at soccer. Um, Mm -hmm. and while she's still in this, in in this place, she is sort of Sam's mentor. Um, Mm -hmm. she ends up fighting in, I guess you could call it the revolution, even though that makes it sound a lot better than it was. Um, Mm -hmm. where a global conspiracy centering around a 
my own take on Asimov's um, psychic historian, psycho historian kind of character. Okay, um, I'm not familiar with that part of Asimov's works. <laughs> it's from uh, Foundation. The idea in Foundation is that a psychohistorian can look at, can using history and how people work and the numbers sort of predict the future within within a certain boundary of error um, about how society is going to develop. It's like what if you could use sociology to tell the future. Um, okay. In Foundation, it's like um, he realizes, oh shit, we're, we're doomed. Um, this person, Solaris, realizes um, that Earth is headed on a really bad course unless someone forces it into something better in the next kind of 40 years. And so mm-hmm. over decades and decades, she builds up this ridiculous web of conspiracy and bribery and outright like stoking the fires of revolution and mm-hmm. cyberterrorism um, to create the hegemony, um, which Sam eventually fights for, which Rayo was a pilot for. When Sam was in the academy, there was an accident. She was she was prone to panic attacks, and um, one was really embarrassing. It was covered up for her, and by okay. by Rhea, as sort of like I've erased this because nobody got hurt. It was in a pile. It was in a simulation. I'm you know, I'm your friend. I probably shouldn't do this, but you know, I've known you since you were a kid. And as they were mm-hmm. talking about this to kind of jeer her up. Rhea shows her a the pod room, what they call the pod room. These pods, yeah. which I got the idea from, for from a um, I believe a Russian artist, um, a Russian art project called Born in Concrete. Um, though I have no idea what the actual his versions of the pods are because I can't read Russian. Um, are these Fair. sort of like little? They're, they're like these huge um, globe pod things that contain a essentially an AI brain Mm -hmm. and the they are sort of free they're kind of loose in here um, bound by tethers when when you say loose you mean like ambulatory or floating floating in low low gravity huh Um, so like big globe, big spheres, um, with the basically the idea being that in this nascent state, they're sort of simulating basically kind of, I hesitate to call it the womb, but sort of it's it's supposed to be just enough movement and floating in this um, zero this low gravity to kind of get the growing AI used to the idea of moving. And used to the idea of having sensory data and understanding it as a person. Um, Hmm. So it's a very formative time. And on a lark, Rhea's like, hey, you want to to go like land on them? Like, you want to go, let me show you how how these work. They're really cool. And because Sam is still shaken and shouldn't have been in here anyway, she almost falls into... In the zero G, she almost gets stuck in an exhaust port. Oh no! And Rhea, realizing that this is going to happen, pushes her out of the way and gets herself stuck in an exhaust port. 
Oh, no. Which she survives, but is very seriously hurt. Um, and, like, forgives, like, forgives Sam and everything. And not only is Sam tortured by this, and because it's a really traumatic thing, those pods are the ones that were supposed to come up to space with her. Okay. And one of their first memory that is queer as day is of someone who is very, very afraid and very, very hurt and needs some, needs help. And so when they got access to a computer on a, to a computer system on a ship that has nanomachines for, um, health purposes, as well Mm -hmm. as many maintenance one over time, they started trying to make something to get help because they needed to know why they need help. So they made a ghost. It falls apart because it's made of tiny little robots. They can't maintain that form. Huh. It is a cry, a literal cry for help. Hmm. And um, Sam has Sam kind of finally realizes this as, and that she kind of made this monster around the time that it starts to become less afraid and needing help and more like you did this to me um because who else is it gonna blame (laughs) there's no one else there um and has to essentially go down into the into the sort of the the heart it's called the heart of the ship where these things are and confront not only this ghost but the scared childlike ai who made it because they they're all alone down there and they don't understand anything because why would they they're kind of basically giant cybertronic babies mm-hmm. and it is resolved um it is the ghost is kind of able to understand that the thing that the traumatic thing that happened is not only in the past but that there was no that it bears they those things bore no fault. It wasn't their fault that someone got hurt. Yeah. That person is okay. And kind of dealing with that. While also kind of dealing with the trauma of Artemis, who made Star Mother, who made these AI and made them work this way to make another version of her. She picked Sam because Sam was someone who was self-destructive, but who also had suffered in the way that she saw herself in. And she wanted, she was so obsessed with this idea that she had failed and had gotten people hurt who weren't supposed to be during the, um, the revolution. She basically is, she's trying, she made this whole mission and used it as an excuse to basically do a job. If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, as in, um, wait, no, Lot's the one whose wives turned into pillars of salt. Yeah, the pillar of Jeremiah salt. Jeremiah was the one with the lamentations. Jonah was the one with the whale. Mm-hmm. Job is the one who, um, it's an ancient play. It predates the whole rest of the Bible, um, where... God is approached by essentially a devil's a literal devil's advocate who um, 
who is sort of taunting him about this idea that people are only good because they think they're going to get something from heaven if they do Mm -hmm. or karma or whatever. And the God character is like, what about Job? He is great. He doesn't do anything because he thinks I'm just going to give him goodies from, from the sky. He never cheats. He love, he is kind to everyone. He is the most honest and upright man on earth. And the devil's advocate says, yeah, but you know, if you weren't getting, if you weren't making his life super easy, he would um, curse you and and be terrible. And so he allow so the God character allows this sort of devil's advocate to fuck up um, Job's life, and Job refuses to blame his mis- to not only refuses to say that he did something wrong and that's why bad things happen to him because that's stupid but also kind of refuses to blame his misfortunes on God or on anything other than chance because Mm. the idea being that like, why should I act as if I am entitled? Like basically why am I, I'm not entitled to having a perfect life and why would I think that I was supposed to? Mm. It's a very, I'm doing a bad job explaining it, but that's kind of the story. She wanted to do that. She wanted to create a situation where someone would have a chance to recreate her, what she sees as her fatal, her, her, her sin to have others lives and her hand in their hands and choose them over expedience. Hmm. Jeez. This, this is a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. She sets it up so that. Originally, the ghost was supposed to happen, except that the ghost was originally just supposed to be a fake computer virus that would shut down things and make Sam think that Star Mother was a threat so that Sam would have to make the choice to try and save her. But that's not what happened because she had no way of realizing how badly things were going to spiral out of control. So Sam, by choosing to help what is essentially an imprint of her brain, not only has she found someone who could do what she couldn't do, but she's also made a new version of herself that can be a better person. A lot. There's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really sorry. Alice, I think saying that there's, that there's a lot is a dramatic understatement. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm, Um, I'm really sorry. No, it's, it, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like this is the kind of story that I feel needs to be needs to be read in completion as the sole focus of a university class. You know, because the f- there's so many layers. You know, the funny thing about this is that it's only a little longer than the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know a word count for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide to like, the Galaxy is a, like it's about fifty five to fifty eight thousand words, I believe. Um, this is about 71,000 words. You must be a very concise writer. I can be. Um, I'm generally (laughs) not, which was actually when I was writing this, it was really difficult for me to not do the sort of Tolkien-esque, I'm going to describe everything for a thousand pages and be like, okay, you are a space fighter jockey and a, who like 
has lots of personal problems in space. How would you describe things? Because mm-hmm. I made the terrible decision of writing in first person, because I'd never done it before. Ah. Uh, Which yeah. was an adventure. I, I can relate to that. It's, it's, it's kind of related to the... You may or may not have seen it, but there's a post that's been going around Tumblr recently about, like, narrative distance. Mm-hmm. Like, the dis- the psychic distance between the reader and the character's narration, if that makes sense. Yes. I try yeah. to be... I'm, f- I'm actually familiar with that concept. I'm not with that name, though I actually like that psychic distance. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted that distance to be almost nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted, I, I mean, I always kind of want, I'm always concerned with in writing, making a person, making people feel stuff. I'm less mm-hmm. concerned about the tightest plot and more concerned about, do you have an emotional response to this? Um, when I did Absolution, I wanted someone to feel what it was like to be Sam in this moment so that when it sucked for her, kind of sucked for you but in a cathartic way like you could experience it and then it would just kind of wash over you and it'd be like well that wasn't so bad i'm fine now i have mm-hmm. that nice kind of cathartic way which i think is harder to do when you have more distance between the reader and the character yeah it's i, I think you can it can probably be argued by again people with more of a literature degree than i have that it's possible to achieve catharsis, um, depending on. I, I, again, I guess it all just depends on the narrative that is mm-hmm. being told, and the language that you're choosing to use. Yeah, I mean that's that's the one thing about writing that's constant is that, and about narratives in general is that every time we make a rule, somebody's going to break it. Um, Aristotle's poetics which is where we get the term catharsis from in modern zeitgeist. Like when he thought about that, he was thinking about fucking Oedipus Rex. And there is a mile between the reader and Oedipus Rex. Unless, I mean, because I doubt that most people have had a prop have been thrown out of their homes by a prophecy. They're going to kill their dad. And then they come back and they do without knowing they did and marry their mom. Like yes. most people do not have yes. this experience. No, no. And there's a mile there, but he sees this, the outcome of this play as being cathartic. And it is, if you've ever, if you ever read Oedipus Rex, you're like, you come out of it and you're just like, man, I'm glad that none of that's going to happen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it it can, I like, I, I tend to think that the best way to do it is very close distance, but somebody out there is going to write something that is just the most flat, alien perspective where you're the character is a like little um kafka-esque blob and is gonna get so much mileage out of that Mm -hmm. real (laughs) real quick alice i want to touch on um the we've kind of talked about a couple of times but you mentioned that there are like characters that are seen and unseen yes and you've mentioned that one of the ways in which sam is uh, disconnected from her life is that uh, she has a loving partner that she's unable to to relate to or connect with. Yes. Is 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 that referring to Star Mother or like a romantic 
partner or someone of flesh and blood? <laughs> well, I meant it specifically about a a uh, fiance. Okay, cool. She has a fiance at home. It can also kind of mean everybody. One of her big problems is how she is able to make connections easily, but finds keeping those connections difficult. It's mm-hmm. easy to make friends. It's really hard to be reliable. Um, she has a fiance she loves a lot and Rick really wants to be with and make this one work. Mm-hmm. And everything is great, except for the fact that she got out of the air she got out of the, out of the planetary defense force, got a job at an aeronautics firm doing test pilot stuff and um maintenance stuff and helping them design like basically planes and it's safe and it's fun and it's good a great life which pays really well with her with like going to be married in a couple months mm-hmm. and then she gets the idea that then she get she realizes she could do this project and she was supposed to you know drop out of it she's going to get married and mm-hmm. she chose not to because in the back of her head, she justifies it to herself as, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not, they're not going to pick me. I have too many problems. It's, and it's pride, but it's also this kind of wordless need to sabotage a good thing, to test the boundaries of it. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of people who have that. And it has always interested me. I wanted to write someone who does that from a sympathetic point of view. She mm-hmm. leaves him behind. He records messages for her because he's not going to be able to get in contact with her for a year. And yeah. those messages start like trying to be really upbeat about this. You know, she's basically been Shanghai at this point. She can't say no anymore. And eventually kind of breaking down like, I can't believe that you would do this. And I'm not, like, going to leave you or anything, but, like, this really hurt me. And realizing she can't have this conversation. It's a one-sided thing. Mm-hmm. So you've got to just live with the fact that you can't communicate with this person the way you need to. She's kind of like that a lot. Throughout the chapters, there's interstitial material. And most of it is um, stuff that people recorded for her. And basically everyone ended up getting a little too emotional about it. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. all that stuff's left unfinished. There's, <laughs> there are so many allegories here that that I that I could make, but that we are not going to have time for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I I will in, instead I will then say I just I I wish Sam and her fiance and star mother <laughs> and. Rhea, both both flesh and blood and ghost, and also the and also all of the brains, all of the loose brains. I wish everyone a very happy and healthy get therapy. <laughs> I, I think I actually in one of the earliest drafts, I actually made this joke that you, that that I made I made this joke about Star Mother ends up being embodied. She was supposed to be. That was the original plan, is that Sam was most likely a person to just rescue her from what she thought was a danger. And then 
she would make an artificial body for her because the real experiment was, can we put a cybertronic brain in an artificial human body? Um, and it ends up kind of being the only way out of the situation. And okay. as she is sort of like helping this new human life, kind of hybrid human life, um, Sam just originally made a joke about how much, how the first thing she was going to do when she got to Earth is find both of them a therapist. Good. <laughs> and I, was, I remember sitting there and thinking, I cannot write this. In, I cannot put that line in there. That's too cheesy. That is too wink, wink, nudge, I mean, nudge, Joss Whedon. <laughs> is, it, is it cheesy? Or is it a, or is it a trauma response? <laughs> it, yeah, it was kind of both. I was like in my head, I knew that what this would sound like coming out of someone's mouth and thinking I would recognize this as a trauma response. But then other people were like, this is a really cheesy line. And I'm like, yes, it is. Because when you are trying to feel better about something, the part of your brain that cringes just shuts off. Yeah. I actually found a picture of one of the pictures that was actually influenced the pod things for you to see okay. kind of what they look like for a listener um the inf- the inspiration for those pods that were sort of the incubation chambers for ai were um an art project called born in concrete b-o-r-n yeah you mentioned that earlier yeah yeah i i want to give that guy um uh, i think it's is it Derek? innings i believe i want to give that credit because i would never have gotten the story in the way it did without having encountered that art project pretty early on and that is derek stinning okay cool i maybe i'll see if i can find a link to this to this image on uh derek's social media I guess then the question, Alice, is uh, do you have anything that you want to uh, touch on real quick before we go into the last question for tonight? Um, briefly, when I was writing this, um, I was kind of coming to terms both with when I was making Sam who she would be, I was coming to terms with both my gender identity as well as my sexuality. And mm-hmm. I am now, because of the experience of working through that with a character who had so much other stuff going on that I had the, I'm, I'm kind of now an advocate for fiction is a wonderful way to experiment with understanding yourself, both writing mm-hmm. it and reading it. I'm, I'm sold. I'm a believer after using Sam to kind of work through that in the original Sam was sis. Um, but I had also kind of, in a lot of ways, not realizing it, I had the, the way I had always kind of wanted to be was the way that she was made. And mm-hmm. I am not sure if she will be cis when I do a rewrite. I haven't decided that yet. In a way, I'm kind of not sure it matters because either way, she will always have a little bit of me. Um, mm-hmm. but that was an avenue to think about. Um, Sam struggling with having to have lived or grown up in a very reactionary kind of conservative environment and figuring out that she is bisexual 
was a really cool way to be grow up in the South and work through the feeling of not being straight. So mm-hmm. I'm, I just kind of wanted to, to make that point. Like it's, it's really fiction's really good for doing that. And that's kind of the main thing I took away from making Sam, um, mm-hmm. how good it can be at that. I'm just over here nodding. And I used to remember that nodding does not translate to audio medium. <laughs> I know, right? Mm-hmm. This is the second episode in a row where it's happened. I've just been sitting here nodding along to what the guest is saying. And it's like, yeah. Oh, wait, you can't see me. No one can see me. <laughs> I've done that many times on Imagine Me. It's <laughs> many, many times. I, I make ex- a very expressive hand gestures without realizing that, oh, no one can see me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess then the last question for today, Alice, is uh, why do you love Sam so much? And Sam and also the <laughs> the greater cast of characters up t- from, from Scootaloo to uh, Star Mother... <laughs> I actually loved Scootaloo for the same reason I love Sam and also kind of Star Mother. I love stories about people who are, because, by the way, um, a guy I looked up to a lot back in college um, who went by Colton Gardez used to say that stories about ponies are stories about people. Inevitably, Mm -hmm. when we write stories, we're writing about people. Um, We might be thinking we're writing about ideas, but even then, we're kind of writing about people. Um, whether that's mm-hmm. true or not, I believe it. Um, and I like stories about people who have problems that suck and who yeah. get to be people anyway. Because a lot of times the world doesn't want them to be people anyway. They are just problems. Mm-hmm. And I like stories that are very upfront about how they can be very sh- but also very upfront about how the fact that they're unpleasant sometimes doesn't mean that they're bad. Sam struggles with alcoholism and struggles with anxiety and commitment (laughs) and Mm -hmm. occasionally um, like her temper and just general mental health. But she's also a full person who likes things and likes other people and is capable of kindness and is really mm-hmm. good at chess and knows that that one song from 2001 space odyssey is called blue danube it's mm-hmm. stories that can make me think about a characters who can make me think about how every person i meet is a fully formed human being that's kind of scary and absolution is yeah. kind of a scary book i think for me at least about 40% of the scariness of it is thinking really hard about if everybody is totally a human, like a a, a fully fledged person and I'm living in a whole universe of people whose interiority is just as vivid as mine. Oh God, how does anything happen? What is, (laughs) how how do any of us manage to not bump, bump off each other all the time? And well, we kind of do. And apparently, that's fine. We've done it for a very long time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think that one way or another, that humanity will continue to exist for as long as for as long as it's possible. <laughs> In one form or another. <laughs> like that little bit from um, Faulkner's uh, Nobel acceptance speech. Or the After the last ding-dong of doom, there will be man's petulant little voice still talking. <laughs> kind of outlasting everything else. Um, still telling stories. Faulkner may have been a terrible, terrible man, but he was going to write about that one. I suppose. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give him one point. <laughs> I'll give him one point. Unfortunately, I would give him two, but unfortunately, the genius of As I Lay Dying is um, outweighed by the not genius of several others. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, thank you so much, Alice, for coming on Wayward today to talk about uh, Sam and all of the. Sam and. Everything that just keeps happening to her. Give her a break already. <laughs> <laughs> she can hide in the ducts. She, she can hide in the air ducts. She's fine. Just cut to the last spot illustration in the novel, and it's just Sam and Sam and Star Mother in, in their body, and everyone just on a beach with a nice frosty drink. <laughs> She's fine. She's like five foot. She can squeeze into an air duct. It's cozy in there. Look, if, <laughs> if if reading Avengers fan fiction in 2012 taught me anything, it's that air ducts are not therapy. <laughs> That's such an amazing line that I almost want to ask about it. Great. I, I'll, I'll explain off mic. You must. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, uh, where would you like to be found on the internet? And what do you have that you would like to shout out and or promote? Because I know you have at least one podcast. <laughs> Um, I can be found on Twitter um, at Lyrewolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-O-F. I have a podcast with Panda um, in Pandanata. Um, our podcast is on Twitter at UtenaCast, U-T-E-N-A. We are Imagine Me and Utena, though right now we're doing more Penguin Drum. So we're Imagine Me and Moir You Penguin Drum. I also have a podcast with my wife called uh, Big Steppy which is about um, Mecha and big robots and all the media that involves them, but mostly Gundam, Mm -hmm. that we have been doing off and on for a while. We're actually going to be restarting it soon, uh, kind of doing a soft reboot. We tried to get through Gundam Wing, but man, after the first 20 episodes, Gundam Wing really bogs down. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) yeah. I can't help but love it, but I'm not going to admit it doesn't. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. Um, we can be found on Twitter at SteppyCast, S-T-E-P-P-Y cast. Um, and we will be working our way through um, G Gundam in the next couple of weeks. Nice. The Home for Wayward OCs is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be found through Acast and your local podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is Violet by Poddington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. We can be reached at waywardocpod at gmail.com or at waywardocpod on Twitter. This podcast is partly recorded on the ancestral lands of the Kiakapui, Kaw, Osage, and the Ocheti Shukalan Oyate. If you'd like to talk about Wayward or the other Corner Podcast Network shows, we have our own Discord server. 
Uh, there should be a permit invite on the various Twitter accounts, but if it's not there, uh, just message me and we'll get you set up. Um, and I am always looking for guests to talk about their original characters, so if you or someone you know is interested in talking about your OC on the show, uh, feel free to drop me a line. Or I also have a Google form that is the pinned tweet on the Wayward Twitter account, uh, and that just has stuff about availability, character pitch, that kind of a thing. And as with all podcasts, it's always super helpful if you can subscribe and rate us on your listening platform of choice, because it helps us to find a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This has been the Home Free Widow Seas, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. I have a little tuxedo cat. Her name is Luna. Um, she was... Uh, she's just like a gargoyle. <laughs> um, what, like elbows out? Yeah, like elbows out. Awkward. Just a quite weird, awkward lump. And um, she has separation anxiety for me. Uh, so when I come home, I generally I have to pick her up like a baby and hold her and let her nuzzle my face for a good five to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Or else she will not be happy. <laughs> Dear Diary. I mean, ship's log. Dear ship's log. No, no. Um, what's up, ship's log? Oh, I do not get how teenagers do this journaling thing on a daily basis. It's so weird. But... In my attempt to be human, I'm willing to give it a go. So, I am six days old, I live on a ship, and besides the fact that I live with my super cool dad, I don't know when I'll ever see the rest of my family again. Anyway, that's all I've got for now, but I'll be back soon with more adventures. Goodbye, diary. Uh, end log? End log. Marilyn's Diary. A We Fix Space Junk miniseries will be available on June 18th. And every episode will be available a week early for our Patreon supporters. The Fable and Folly Network.